0: Welcome to Cars on Call. I am gastroenterologist and automotive journalist
1: Steph, uh, Steve uh Stefan, jump the <laughs> no, gun. That would be he me. Identities. You. <laughs> Who that are everybody wants ex- to? Everybody me.
0: wants to be you, to
1: Everybody um, wants to be a try. EGI guys all want to be surgeons. Come on, want to be. <laughs> want to be.
0: <laughs> I heard You've someone say.
1: <laughs> somebody said uh, gastroenterologists
0: are want to be surgeons with too short of an attention span and i think that's true
1: I'm <laughs> just glad um, that there may be something else shorter as well you know reach down yeah. and find a wow <laughs> <aid>. oh. <laughs> sorry how did, how
0: did we get all the way there Are um, we anyway, the <laughs> we're still in the opener we're still saying hi, hi. uh so Stefan is, yes. is obviously here and uh adam sudson <laughs> automotive collector connoisseur historian uh and he's not in the Highlands anywhere. Uh Highlands, not. North Carolina.
2: Although I would like to be because it's still quite cool there. But uh, it, it, it's, it's always good to be home. Always good to be home. I saw some fun things. That's the car spotting topic today.
0: Yeah. So in addition to car spotting, which I'm really psyched to talk about because your car spotting was cool, uh, which you generally have cool car spotting apps. Anyway, uh, Stefan, of course, uh, has trauma surgeon safety. And we're going to talk Chrysler 300, and then we're going to finish up with something we are like so psyched.
1: Just can't wait.
0: So psyched to talk about. It is really the swan song of the hot hatch, but the hot hatch has had a hell of a history, and uh, it's it's uh, a Diana Ross thing. And uh, one of her songs, she said, "We won't have tomorrow, but we had yesterday." Well, the hot hatch had a hell of a yesterday, and even today is pretty good. It's not going to have a tomorrow, but it had a, a hell of a yesterday. So um, Chrysler 300, we were talking about this. You know, this kind of bothered me because we have all been talking about it, and I blame myself just as much as anybody. We're talking Charger and Challenger are are dying. The Hellcat, Charger, Challenger, Charger, Challenger. And we overlooked the, 300, uh, the Chrysler 300C. And it's the same Apparently platform. Apparently, many did. No, it sold great, at least for a while. And it's a car that needs a little bit of love. Um, this the
1: Fentley, man. I just remember this Fentley. car is the Fentley. the faux yeah. Fentley. Yeah. Yes,
0: and this the car, This car is on the same platform as the Charger and Challenger. Came out the same time, so it's been out. Hello, 2005. It was introduced. And uh, it, it's going to it's gonna die at the same time as the Charger Challenger, which is December of this year. It's going to die. It has had a hell of a run. It was uh, conceived and introduced during the ill-fated Daimler Chrysler era. It was based on a mid-90s E-Class, largely. And it became, just like the Escalate, out of nowhere became a hip-hop sensation, Snoop Dogg, Famously owned one. There's a picture of Snoop Dogg with his dub, uh, Chrysler 300C. It appeared in countless rap videos. And my son, Peter, my youngest son, he played a video game when he was like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. He played this video game all the time. And it was basically you drove around, you raced around LA and you chased other cars. It's, <laughs> it was like a precursor to, to Grand Theft Auto. And he could have picked a Lamborghini. Or Ferrari, or Porsche, or all kinds of sports cars. He always chose the 300C, and I asked him why. He said, "Because it's the coolest car." And I'm like, "No, it's not." But this car went from a Bentley knockoff to a rapper pop culture phenomenon, and now it's going away. Stefan, talk about the Bentley thing because I think it is a knockoff.
1: Yeah, it was. A, it was kind of like you know the Ford Explorer being a knockoff to the Range Rover in their design but um Chrysler came out with this 300 it was a knockoff on the Bentley you people actually were changing out the grills putting on Bentley grills but you know always have to give credit to Chrysler and Dodge i mean they just make some cars that have just kind of you know an attitude and this car this is their th- their their nice version of attitude versus the Charger and the Challenger and um you know, it's like we we had a podcast while we talked about cars we'd like we'd never be never be seen in. I mean, I love these cars, but there's no way in hell you'd see one in my driveway. But I do honestly, they just have attitude. They got stance. They got style. They're a little bit nasty. They've got some culture attached to them. I've always loved. I've liked the Chrysler fraternity This is like. They'll never be one of my driveway, but I really do like them. I like what people do to them. Um, they change out the tail lights. They put different wheels on them, little things. But it's how many four-door cars in America do you see people personalizing that had this much attitude? This is it. You
2: know, you know, well, it, it it is it. And I, I remember vividly when this car came out uh, under the headline, I forget what magazine or what... what uh, what website was talking about it, but it said Chrysler 300, colon, the return of the great American sedan. And danged if they weren't right. Uh, Absolutely. You know, a friend of mine had one, like shortly after they came out, uh, he had a black one, and the interior was sort of a grayish tan somewhere. He had a
1: nasty one.
2: Yeah, and it was leather. He had the small uh, Hemi V8. That car would fly. It also, as I remember had a uh, tortoise shell accents, you know, what? faux tortoise shell, like yes. you would do sunglasses or whatever accents inside, which were standard, um, or at least OEM. And the car was handsome. It was well appointed. It rode good and being built on the Chrysler, on, on, the, uh, on the, on
1: the 300d platform. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I, I I didn't even put it together when it was called the Chrysler 300 because there had been a Chrysler 300 back in the annals of the Chrysler history. And to call it a 300 kind of as a nod at the 300E, that's a very sophisticated platform. It did everything right. Barely ever misplaced a foot. It was not a tail happy, tail wagging, um, big, fat American sedan like people were used to. I really liked that car, and its offshoot, the Magnum. You know, I just, I I just thought
1: that would, yeah. We talked about the dark horse, the Magnum being a dark horse. So, listeners, the Magnum is the station wagon version of this. And you talk about a car with attitude. They put the Hemi in it; just a badass. And I mean, you know, Chrysler and Dodge, just they just they have they will just throw something out in the market that's just badass. That like. It's a little bit skank. It's a little bit dirty, a little bit <laughs> nasty. But, man, I love it. <laughs> Never one in my driveway, but I love these cars. I really do. Every time I see one, I'm like, yeah, dude, that's cool. I but- uh,
0: I spotted a, uh, this is, a, I don't know, six months ago, I spotted a Magnum where someone had put on a front clip from a 300C, and they turned it into a 300C. Little did I know, and I found this out when I was uh, looking up the 300C for today, little did I know. They actually sold a 300 t- Touring Edition and rest of the world. So Europe and South America, that kind of thing. You can actually buy a 300 wagon uh, right. that was from the factory. So Interesting. the dude I saw who, who swapped out the front end. But Adams, when you said uh, it's an American uh, car, what that really means is front engine, V8, rear wheel drive.
2: Yep, yep. Uh, f- four doors. um, um and and not a two plus two, honest to goodness, a real front and a real back seat and an honest to goodness trunk. You can get two or three friends in, and uh, you know it's just a. It was just that style, and I thought it had enough Euro intrigue to not look like the big fat overweight um, American. Ver- you know what we had considered sort of the American uh, last versions of the big sedan. I just thought this was kind of taut, and it had, of course, you know, a lot of Euro influence to it. And it just, it just it just seems to be, at that time, a very stylish entry into sort of a dead category.
1: Exactly. You got your choice between a Ford Taurus, a oh. Chevy Malibu, or a 300E. Which one are you taking?
2: 100% the
1: 300E. 300E all day long with the biggest mass engine I can get 300C. all day long. This I would 300...
2: shoot bullets in the other two <laughs> before I would take them.
0: It's
1: a 300C, but anyway... <laughs> Um, yeah, three hundred C or three hundred Chrysler instead of three hundred E Mercedes. Exactly.
2: I got to ask the rhetorical <laughs> question, and we do not need to dwell on it because we've got other things to move toward. If this is going away, and the Charger and the Challenger, what the heck is uh, did, left? A Durango yeah. and a Hornet.
1: I mean, what do we have there? Very good question. You're right. What does what does Chrysler, Daimler, that well, just Chrysler Dodge have left when they get rid of these iconic vehicles in these? kind of niche market that they have the only
0: uh chrysler that'll be left after the 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 300c goes away is the pacifica (laughs) but we are obviously we're promised uh um electric cars now uh for the record and this just came up in automotive news i I found this very interesting uh they have promised stellantis your favorite car name (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) stellantis has promised that uh the charger and challenger at least the Charger is going to come back. It's going to be BEV. Automotive News said last week, uh, maybe not just BEV, maybe internal combustion is going to be in that new Charger.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I think with the trend we've had in BEVs and the, they've lost their their halo and their angelic glow, that, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, bring back it in a hybrid version, okay? Yep. Th- take Take a imagine taking kind of the classic American V8 up front wheel drive and then put an electric motor on the front end of that thing I mean I know it would be a packaging nightmare but to me that's kind of more the American spirit and then throw a then you throw a little battery somewhere in the pack so you get 25 miles to be 25 miles on your battery but you add the extra couple hundred horsepower to the front end of one of those things I think that's a package that Americans would be like yeah I'll, I'll take that.
2: I, I, and and I, I don't disagree. And maybe if you if you wanted to assimilate some decent weight distribution, put the motors on the back and and or the uh, the battery somewhere under the under the rear yeah. seat, and you know yeah. get some weight down low and make it a decent handler. And yeah. Lord, I, I actually, Steph, I don't think you're far off the mark there because I, I mean, mean,
1: yeah, V six trans V six transverse up front with two motors in the rear. That's kind of like a down step, but still, I think it's something Americans would. I think it's still sounds fairly exciting, but...
0: I'd I vote for... I, I love that idea. And I'd vote for a tweaked 300C, so update the styling a little bit. Yep. Hellcat, and then
1: oh, a plug-in yeah.
0: hybrid. A plug-in that. hybrid. I'd like it to go <laughs> 1.3 miles on a charge on just all electric power. But otherwise... It should just be a damn Hellcat. <laughs>
1: yeah, one point three miles. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, so it's got that's it's got name. it's got one extra twelve volt battery in it. Yeah, just one yeah. extra battery yeah, to give I'm you one point three miles. I think that
2: a couple of double A's would probably. <laughs> yeah,
0: do that. that's my vote. <laughs> yeah, I like that. We right.
2: just we just solved that problem, Chrysler. I hope you're listening.
0: I hope you're listening. All right, car spotting Adams.
2: Uh, let's see, as mentioned previously in the in the prelude buildup, uh, I saw actually this car, which was on Bring a Trailer. You can see up there it sold for 65 grand on uh, on the 5th of August. This particular car was purchased by uh, a gentleman who actually who has a house in Highlands and elsewhere. I actually don't know where he's from, but I was uh, at a Cars and Coffee on Saturday morning and uproars this vehicle thankfully with the lipstick having been removed apparently he used a a makeup remover and got that mascara off and that yeah it was out there and that's the 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 car exactly uh that's a later version of the v8 that we've sort of grown to know and love uh that's the v8 8 SGT, and that would be the last of that particular body style with the 4.7 v8 they bumped horsepower up to, I think, 430. Somebody's going to look me up and find I'm right or wrong on that. But there's that four, it's just I, I, the only reason I included that 4.7, the, the earliest generation when it came out in like 06 ish, I believe, was a 4.3 uh, V8, and that lasted till 09, and it was a 380 horse motor. By that time, the competition had kind of eclipsed it. Then they came out with 4.7 which was a 420 horse. And in the GT, we just saw with the lipstick, that's a 430 horse. Um, look how far back that motor sits in that car. I mean, it's basically yes, in the it, front it, seat. It, it's, it's a
1: front engine, yep.
2: Yeah, yep. The back two plugs are in the front seat there with you. Um, yes. And I included the window sticker only, well, you can't really read it, but folks, it's somewhere in the 130, 140 range. And, you know, whenever you see a car reselling that particular one had like 20 something thousand miles but just pick any of the gts they're at a third or a fourth of their original sticker that boys and girls is a buy in my book
1: what do you think it's a buy you know what, what cracks me up about these um aston martins is i have I, you know i i own a, a bullet mustang which to me is kind of like a The Ford version of an Aston Martin is toned down. But when you see these Aston Martins and you start looking at English cars and coffees, they love to put like this car, Adams, you mentioned lipstick. In England, you will see these Aston Martins with so many different color specks of lipstick on the mirrors on the a pillar going to the back the front i'm like wait a minute these are the conservative english that supposedly have taste and they're tarting up their cars i mean <laughs> it's just like I'm, i am look at this i'm like what the what the what the hell is this but they love to do that to these aston martins which to me is just crazy but um Yeah, so listen. Just go look up like Aston Martin cars and coffee, England. You're going to see these cars with color combinations and wheels, like you're thinking, uh, just trash cars and coffee. But um,
2: well, to to use the phrase you mentioned on the 300, those are the Astons with the skank
1: package. Oh, absolutely, and they do (laughs) like that in England. Yes, the UK likes to skank them up.
0: My, my we just, take on this—we just offended
1: our two English listeners.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, my take on this car when it launched, I remember thinking, well, they're obviously trying to—they're dipping down price-wise uh, to try to compete with the uh, the 911. So they wanted it to be to a price. And mm-hmm. my recollection, Adams, you may know better than me. My recollection is this was based on uh, the engine was based on a Duratec Ford uh v6 that they they made eight cylinders they added two cylinders to it but this is during the ford ownership era and one thing i didn't like about it i did ne- i didn't i never actually no i did i drove one um the the interior was just okay you could tell they they built it to a price so the the combination of a ford-based engine which was kind of a downer and a not great interior uh those were two negatives
2: i don't disagree the early cars had so many buttons I think they had glanced inside a bmw and said we can do that and there were so many buttons in a row that would would do everything from fan speed to to, to vent output to anything with the hvac anything with uh, the seat controls were all crammed in the middle and then in 2010 they sort of got the message and changed it that's when the 47 uh started getting in there that year they cleaned it up a little bit i'm not sure what version you, you you drove and then that that Duratec V6, talk about adaptability. Not only did they they graft two cylinders on to make that V8, which is not a bad motor at all. And Lord, does it sound glorious. This thing sounded fantastic when it rumbled through. But then they they these two of the V6s together to make the V12, which you could get in a GT as well,
1: in a uh, Vantage. Well, the other thing about these cars were they're gorgeous looking on the outside. They sound great. It's kind of like wake up in the morning and she washes the makeup off <laughs> and you see what's really underneath all of it. And it's kind of because if you taxi the switch gear, the switch gear inside of these cars was just trash switch gear from like a Ford Fiesta. So you've got this gorgeous car on the outside, a fabulous motor, fabulous sound. But you're starting to touch the switch gear on the inside. Like, wait a minute. My Fiesta has this. Wait a minute. This came out of the Ford Mondeo. And so now they're not doing that, but in this era of cost savings, they're doing these cars. So it's kind of like, it's a give or take, but yeah, it's like, Oh, huh, put your makeup back on, baby.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's right. It's, it's um, if you dig deep, uh, you can find a lot of Ford uh, insignia and, and, you know, and parts and Ford parts. And it's definitely a parts special again, to keep the price relatively low. Adam's, my question for you is: All right, this guy bought this car for sixty-five thousand dollars. It seems like a great deal. Uh, I worry a lot. I mean, I would not buy this or a Bentley because parts, if anything breaks down, are hugely expensive. Isn't that a, isn't that a big problem?
2: It, it is a big problem, Steve, and that, that's worthy of bringing it up. And I do believe that is the depression currently of the of the price cycle. But, you know, that happens with a lot of cars that have these horrific reputations when you are next to you. Then they fall into the hands of the people who really can only afford the purchase price, but not the upkeep price. Then they get depressed in price. And then that cycle sort of catches up with itself where people go, hey, that was a cool car. And they start to build back up. We don't know if that'll happen with the Aston. I seem to think it will just because it is a dang good looking and we all like the way it looks and sounds and yeah it's got a little bit of cheesiness on the interior um and i think the worst thing about them by far the worst 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 so if you're looking to buy one do not get what they called the um the auto shift uh that the early single clutch oh my god those were so bad a lot of people took the f out of the word auto shift and that's what it was it was super, super clunky super delayed you would push on the gas and count to one or two and boom then it'd be off it was nothing good about that transmission however the six speed is a marvel so a manual shift aston v8 from 2010 on is a pretty dang good car and pick of the
1: litter in my opinion yeah you know what that's why my cobra all the parts can come out of a summit or jegs catalog (laughs) so you can replace them yes Exactly. Then, the parts yeah, are okay. all out of summit or Jegs. That's I
0: Yeah. Go back to uh the picture of that car the car initially. Obviously, the guy fixed it up, he got rid of the red, but um there's the expression, you know, you, you know, you put lipstick on a pig. This is lipstick <laughs> on a show horse.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh yeah. man, that's a good phrase. That's right.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, just look at that. These around so listeners, this is a white car with red around the front grille and then red up from the A pillar back to the C pillar. And that's it. It's just, it's kind of like, okay, here's, here's some parts we can paint. Okay, let's paint them. Oh yeah, that might look good. No, it doesn't. He Somebody actually you know, thought
0: that was, that was a good idea.
1: Yeah. Well, i love it, to do that with Aston Martin's though. They really do. Look at us. It was some attempt to commemorate
2: uh, their motorsports victory. I'm not sure what livery that pays attention to, but they had it in <laughs> bright yellow. They had green with yellow, which helped me. Was that the uh, John Cooper? colors. I'm not sure the green, yellow. Somebody could tell me. But in any event, yeah, they did it with some sort of garish paint schemes and thought that yeah. was commemorative, but it just it fouled it up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Safety. All right. Safety. Let me switch gears here. All right. So I want to do a little follow-up safety. You know, um, listeners, if you listen to the last podcast, we talked about um Wyoming and their death rate in motor vehicles. And we talked about um, collisions with animals and steve-o sent me an article out of the billings gazette from august 27th this is kind of a follow-up to last um two weeks ago i think or maybe a week ago but in 2020 state farm insurance did a report and we talked about wyoming but um west virginia being number one but montana has the second highest number of wildlife collisions in, in the entire nation and here's what's kind of crazy is they calculated that from 2008 to 2017 the annual cost in Montana of vehicle collisions with moose, deer, and elk was $87 million. Mm. So you think wow. about that. Almost $100 80, million. 80, oh. Yeah, exactly. But wow. you can think about it. Well, you know, from Montana thinks about it a little bit differently. They're thinking, well, you know, yeah, this is a problem, $87 million worth of vehicle. But you know what? These v- animals that we kill on the roads represent 14% of the annual deer harvest and elk harvest. And by the way, the state makes $288 million in hunting revenue. So here's a weird wow. twist on it. Yeah. So hmm. you think about it, you know, yeah, it's only 14%, but no, their revenue is $288 million in revenue on hunting. And their collision costs are about 87. So you start to do the math. You're like, this is a real problem. So there actually is a thing called the Federal Wildlife Crossings Pilot Program. And Steve, I saw these with you in Iowa. I've seen them in Colorado. It's where over interstates and four lanes, they basically make a pathway across for the animals to learn this is where you cross the road. Mm. And I'd never seen one before until I went out west. We don't have them in Alabama. But the Federal Wildlife Crossings Pilot Program has $350 million available. And of course, Montana was all over this. So they figured it out. There's a they have a couple big places where animals cross the road. And they did a, the Bozeman did a big study. And they figured that if they could install a couple wildlife crossings, they would reduce the collisions by 85%. So they applied to get the grant money and they did. But it's interesting, you know, when you start to, to do the math here, when you think about human cost, you think about car cost, yeah, 87 million. But here, really bought comes down to the bottom line on a huge state revenue um so a good follow-up article um on that and you think about it you know the the federal government has identified this is a major issue so we're going to give some money and it's typically 80 matching the rest of 20 comes from the state but in these states like this out west you know you got people hauling ass down the road doing 80 miles an hour you've had these elk bison that have been crossing the same place for millennia. We throw up a road. We think, oh, no, we're just going to throw up a road here. No big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And $87 million worth of damage, big deal. So we can put in some crossings for the animals. And you know what? We don't kill people. Fewer people die. Fewer cars get trashed. And not only that, we're saving 14% of our wildlife revenue in terms of animals killed. So it was a great article, Steve, that you picked up. Um, I thought it was really interesting.
0: Yeah. For, for us, Stefan, we think of, especially out West, it's a a big pickup truck and it's going to run into a deer, you know, whatever. And, and uh, they actually, uh, I remember when I lived in Texas, uh, they called the, the grill guard. They used to call them Bambi bashers, which I thought was,
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really, very, very Texas, very inappropriate.
0: <laughs> but um, I talked to a, a man, this is several years ago, who's older, and he was talking about his kids. And he mentioned that his uh, he had a son who was about 35 years old, who'd recently passed away. And I said, oh, I'm very sorry. Uh, and he said, Yeah, it was the most tragic thing. He hit a deer on his Harley Davidson. You hit it, you hit a you hit something with your big truck, you're fine. Hit something with a motorcycle. Well,
1: let me tell you some interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I got two stories. One was a friend of mine, Jack Moody, in medical school. His sister was driving, I can't remember where she was driving, but she was in a Volvo 240. Remember the 240 for brick. Four. I mean, yeah. basically a brick tank on wheel. She hit a cow at 55 miles an hour. And oh. the cow. Came up over the hood, broke the front windshield. Opened the air, hit the rear window. They came out unscathed. That's remarkable. And then, but as a trauma surgeon, I saw multiple patients that would hit a deer. They actually came through the windshield into the vehicle. And the the most bizarre thing was, the deer fur was actually stuck into them like little hypodermic needles goodness gracious yeah. so that's the from force. the point of impact the force of impact that their the hair from the deer were stuck in them and you know, i Didn't saw that some,
2: pressure fusing i mean that takes a man. lot of pressure
1: yes yeah, a ton of pressure you think about it you hit, a, you hit an animal like that at 60 miles an hour that comes through your windshield that's a lot of injury force so i took care of a lot of people i did take care of people on motorcycles they got hit and they just never did well but um you think about you doing 60 miles an hour. And now you're hitting a 200 pound animal. So you're going six, 60 to zero with a 200 pound animal against you. It's like hitting a brick wall. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Steph, um, you mentioned something interesting. You said, I think, and if I, if I heard it right, and I jotted it down, so you may want to look back at your notes, $240 million in hunting
1: revenue. 200, and so $288 so, million dollars of hunting revenue.
2: Okay. So $288 million. Uh, times the 14%, which are uh, uh, being slaughtered, that's a $40 million hole mm. right there, yeah. uh, not to mention what it's doing just to the automobiles and to the people, et cetera, et cetera, and holding up traffic and law enforcement involved. And I'm not talking about the inconvenience because it's a horrific thing to happen, but that's $40 million just leaking away from uh, the hunting revenue side mm-hmm. of things. So it, this this relates. How in the world is putting in a animal crossing reduce crashes by 85%. What do they do to corral these animals to go through some narrow pass? Do you know? Was that in well, the study?
1: Well, I know that I don't, I didn't, I'm just going to speak off the, the cuff here because I I haven't looked at it. But there's a, the wild, the federal wildlife crossings pilot program has known that these animals typically have crossed the same paths right. forever. Oh, they follow, they trail. follow rivers, okay. trails, it's and then okay. it's, their, it's, it's a habitat where they naturally follow from grazing in the summer to grazing in the winter. And then you go throw an interstate across there and don't think about it.
0: Okay. Well, the animals
1: are using the same pathway that they have for millennia. And it's kind of like in the Serengeti in Africa. The, the, the paths are very predictable, the animals. So when you put up these passageways now, these new interstates, they're incorporating the wildlife into the consideration. And there is a, th- either over the top, it's typically underneath, but they build these, I've seen them out West. There's these big concrete walls and they kind of, and fences. So they funnel the animal wildlife so that they then go underneath the big four lane interstates. Great move. Okay. Gotcha. Yes, it makes total I mean, yeah, it makes, total. you know, be, be more at one with nature. It makes total sense.
0: And sometimes over, and of course, these overpasses, it's not cement. It, they have dirt and, and growth, and it's it's wide, so the, the animals can do it. There's there's actually quite a bit of this out west, and it it, it seems to work. <laughs> not enough to, I mean, it's still a lot of deaths uh, of animals, but uh, I think it's, the more they do, the more it'll help.
1: Well, think about it, across Montana, how many four-lane interstates are there that cross the state of Montana? There's, there's, not, I mean, there's not that many. So, but the animals have been following the same migration paths for for millennia.
0: righty. Well, moving on to hot hatches. As I said, this is going to be Ooh, something yeah, we're going to really wait. get into. And uh, uh, Automotive News, again, last week said that Volkswagen has announced that uh, they are doing away uh, soon with the uh. manual GTI and the manual Golf R. They're going to be automatic only. This is just another step in Mm. kind of doing away with a hot hatch. Stefan, you're a hot hatch guy. Talk about it.
1: All right. So listeners, um, you know, it's kind of my origin story is my mom's French. So I spent a lot of time in Europe growing up as a kid. And the hot hatches started with the Golf GTI to the R5 Turbo to the Renault Clio and hot hatches were just have always been the thing in Europe. Any young kid driving a car or older person, the hot hatches are where it's at. In America, we kind of we kind of had some hot hatches and people kind of liked them. We had the GTI here, we had the the Integra GSR, we've got the the Hondas, but nothing quite like European. Um so for me, you know, growing up as a kid the the hot hatches were just totally it so i'm going to start with this first picture you know i can my first car that i bought i bought a 1983 honda accord which you can see appear on the picture door gray it was not a hot hatch it was a luxurious hatch i got this instead of the gti because this was my very first car that i actually paid for myself i knew i was going to have to do maintenance and i knew with the record of honda that i would have basically zero maintenance costs on this car i know steve you had a gen 1 gti and then later on i moved to the 1993 integra which is wow. another hot hatch i had this color but yours I that fabulous the... color i had that color but not into the... just as a gsr i just had the simple gs yeah so, it's a teal
0: um, if, you, if you're not if you can't see it if you're listening it's a it's teal, a teal blue. which is so 90s
1: it is so oh, nice just, but it was the coolest fabulous. color ever at the time yeah. and i had a beige interior and this car this i mean my honda was fun to drive but this integra gs was just it had the variable VTEC engine man this thing you could sling it into corners and it was just held the track. So
2: you know, you said Stefan, I, I don't mean to interrupt again, but I mean you were saying about the um, like, oh, this was not a hot hatch. Honestly, the cool thing about everything you're showing here and our in, in your origin story is they all had the DNA
1: of the hot hatch. Yeah, the DNA. So so Listeners Hot Hatch is basically a two-door hatchback. So the cool thing is you can drive a two-door car, it's got two backs, two seats in the back, but then you can fold down the back seats. And you could not believe the amount of shit you could throw in the back of these things. So it's, it was the perfect first car, second car, because you could do so much with it. And, um, and in Europe, I mean, the hot, the, the hatchback still lives on now in four doors, but if you've never owned a hot hatchback, let me tell you what, you know, what is it? The Audi a seven was actually a hatchback or that was it yep. A5? A7. a day fun. A seven. Let me tell you what, a hatchback is unbelievable. Man, just maximizes the capacity of the vehicle. How function I me? Mean, I, I literally bought a dresser and threw it in the back of my Honda Accord, two door Accord. <laughs> to hatch up, we, the hatch didn't close, but I got the dresser in that we bought at an auction. So I, I've always been a huge fan of two door coupes and especially two door hatchbacks. So,
2: you know you know uh it it's it, it, as you were talking I mean people don't people don't remember oh there was a time before the hot hatch and now we're sort of entering this period that there could be a time after the hot hatch before it came out you know I mean people just thought about performance cars as these loud booming inefficient gas guzzlery could be finicky there's maybe two seats there's no luggage room. Uh, they're expensive to insure, expensive to keep, and boom, out pops the VW GTI, and people went, "Well, forget everything I just said," because they were all those things in the opposite. Yeah. They were yep. fuel efficient, they were easy to insure, they were easy to keep, easy to live with. You, like Steph said, you could put two people in the back, or you could fold the seats down and act like you had a two seater, and you got tons of room. Yeah. I mean, they were just there. It, it was like it was the only time we'd or the first of the times we'd ever had a definition of something called
1: practical performance and they delivered. Yeah, That's a great, it's a great way to describe it. practical. So it's totally practical, but if you wanted to sling in some corners, rev it out, max it out and have a blast in a car that handled, this was it.
0: Yeah. Another thing I, I really like that description Adams. Uh, this was practical, but it was also accessible. And, and I know, I know you yes. basically just said that, but one thing you didn't mention, which we all know, and I know Stefan knew this when he was driving us a court, Back then, gas was expensive. Yeah, d- yep. these were fuel sippers, and they yep. they they didn't you know they were cheap to insure, cheap to fill up with gas.
1: Yep. All right, so let me start off with let me start off with my. Don't do favorites no. yet. I'm not favorites yet. Okay, all right. Not not Go favorites
0: ahead. yet because I want to point something. Okay. out. i said that these are dying, and I I, I
1: yes. On the one hand,
0: on the one hand, I looked up what you can buy now as a hot hatch, and you can get a Mini Cooper S or John Cooper Works. With a manual, does a hot hatch? Obviously, the Corolla, the GR Corolla, which we've talked at ad nauseum, uh, and then you can get the Hyundai Veloster N. You can get the Golf GTI and the R. You can get the Mazda Three Turbo. Does that count? I don't know. But a and what about that,
1: the and um, the the Honda Civic R? This is four door. But
0: I was going to make that point. It's no longer a hatch. I mean, it's, it's no longer it's a hatch. You're it's right. A Sinan it's a sedan shape and Sinan, same with the WRX. Yes, you're
1: right. It's not fair. You're right.
0: WRX and the STI. They're sedans. So that's going away. So sometimes yeah. the body the body style has changed. Um, but I here's a list of what you can get in 2017. And just keep in mind what you can no longer get from this list. Ford Focus ST and oh, RS.
1: Yeah, that's a nice one.
0: Yesta ST, uh, GTI and R, we talked about that. The Mini Cooper, same. Fiat 500 A-bar, that was a fun car. Uh, I drove that. Yeah. yeah. That was fun.
2: They sold uh, like 12 of them. Yeah, that's still very cool. <laughs> not, I love them. I love to see them.
0: Not a paragon of reliability. But <laughs> but you know, if you think about the list of that I just uh, what's for sale now, you you can just tell these are it's all just going sad. Away.
1: they're going away, yeah. yeah. So Now everybody uh, now everybody wants the hot hatch SUV. The, the the sporty SUV. Oh, give me a break, man.
0: Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> oh, you're God, you're really yeah. right and and there's there's a Explorer ST. Oh, give me a break! Oh, um, give me a break! There's, yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's not the the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, you know, let's go through our favorites. We are we all, all listed right. three favorites, but Stefan, you're absolutely right. There's there's nothing else I can think of in recent years, which I mean, since the '80s, where the French
1: really led. This is one of those yeah. areas. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Normally, the French are running away from the fight. And uh I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> I didn't I mean apologize. that. but I didn't mean I, that. I I mean, automotively, they, <laughs> were, they were remaining uh, independent.
0: <laughs> they they did really well with this area, this sub-niche of automotive in a way they that killed they it. didn't.
1: They yeah, absolutely they, killed it. Yes. All right. So I'm going to start here, listeners, with my number one favorite hot hatch of all time. And this is a Renault R5. Um, so it's Renault as you say in America, R5. This is the LaCar, Car, but the R5 Turbo 2. So the reason I picked, um, I saw a Turbo 1, and this was, so they took the R5, they took the four-cylinder engine out of the front, and then they threw it where the back seat was supposed to be, threw a monster turbocharger on it, and would rally this car. Um, I saw a Turbo 1, the first generation, and it was just completely raw kind of piecemeal together by the time they came to the turbo two they had actually kind of figured it out and the reason i picked the turbo two was i was in toulouse france probably 19 Oh shit, here, probably 1982 and it was about two o'clock in the morning we were out partying at a little local discotheque and my buddy knew the owner and she had the turbo two and it was outside he said can we have the keys to it we actually went out at two in the morning. She said you can't drive it, but you can start it. We sat in this car and started up and revved it, and and it's forever in my mind um, the sound of this car. So this is penned by Mark Deschaw and Marcello Gandini at Bertone Adams, which yep. They, well, oh they, no, they, uh, my yes, ears
2: perked up. I did not the, know that. Yes,
1: the front and rear fenders. Uh, this is 160 horsepower, one out of 1.4 liter turbocharged. Now you know, as we say in French, meld. You know, this thing will throw your ass into a ditch so fast. It's like a nine, we think of the 930 as a Widowmaker. This R5, you floor it and you think you're doing great. Then all of a sudden that turbo kicks in. Next thing you know, you're doing 180 degrees and you're into the ditch. The other thing that's so cool about the Turbo 2 Fatima Blush in 1983, James Bond film, Never Say Never Again, drove this car. Um, they typically sell for about 150K now on Bring a Trailer. For me, of all the hot hatches, um, I've got three picked. This is my, I'm starting with my, I'm going out with a big bang. This is my very, very favorite hot hatch of all time.
2: That's a cool one. And Steph, I, I, I know you, 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 you were intimating at this, you know, with the rear engine and the whole Widowmaker thing. Of course, it went from the front wheel drive to,
1: yes, from what car went from front wheel drive to rear wheel drive, front engine to mid engine. That's Just a tweak. That's <laughs> Yeah.
0: (laughs) That is a tweak. That's a
2: mild redo. Yes. Look at that thing, though. It looks like it's about two feet wider in the rear, starting at the back of the rear door. And that, to me, just looks fantastic.
1: You know, it's it's like, you know, when you see an Audi RS with the blown-out fenders, you see a 190 Evo. But for those kind of work, but when you do that, Where you just blow out the rear fenders on a two-door hatchback, it just this thing just just screams menacing badassery, and I'm going to eat you up. And I mean, I just this to me is there's this is the finest iteration ever of the two-door hot hatch. Just it doesn't get better than this. Now it may get better technically in terms of driving experience, but in terms of looks. And what a hot hatch is! This just describes it for me. This is it. Good pick.
0: I think it's a great pick, uh, Stefan. When it comes to the look, I totally agree. This car is the key and peel uh, substitute teacher bit where he goes, <laughs> "I'm for real."
1: This, <laughs> this car is for real. So you think a 300E may ha- a 300C may have attitude? No, no, no. This this here is this is attitude defined in a car. Just it's just uh, it's menacing. I love it.
0: All right, Adams.
2: Yes, sir. I tell you what. I've got a a, a very similar um, first pick because it is the Renault Clio.
1: Hey, okay. it happens to be my pick number two. Okay, all right. Well, I, right. I tell you what. I'm with you. you. I'm with you. I'm with you.
2: Okay. Well, well, I'm a, I'm gonna li- maybe maybe we. No, we'll you just-
1: go ahead. You go ahead. This is well, we'll This is my number two pick. Way. I'm we'll glad to you. think that. Good. You know, we think alike. Go ahead.
2: We can partner because I sent you something in your email that as my alternate pick. But this particular thing sort of followed the exact same flavor that Steph just mentioned, where they took this pretty dang good looking little smaller car that they said. And what I read and Steph, you may have already known this, but there was an engineer at Renault, this guy named Axel Bruin. What a great first name for a guy in the car business. And he was a crazy engineer, and he said, "You know, he said, I want to take our V six and I want to put it in the middle of, of of one of these cars, and but I have to find a car that's got the same wheelbase as the um, as the uh, Twingo. That's what the this was based right. on. Which sounds to me like a store bought <laughs> dessert cake. <laughs> and he he so he's looking at cars with the same wheelbase, and the identical wheelbase of this car is shared by Ferrari three hundred eight.
1: So he I was did gonna, not know that.
2: He wow. was going to find a burned up or a wrecked 308. He was going to strip the body off, put the uh, Twingo body on it and create this car. And when he mentioned it to people, they went, you're onto something, buddy. So they allowed him the engineering green light to look at that thing. It just looks everything you just said about the R5 would apply to this. And I think it just looks a little bit more modern, a little bit more finished. And it's yes. got the V6 and it's like 254 horsepower at seven 1,200 RPM. So uh, Adams, they,
0: the Adams, uh, the, the Renault 5 that Stavon mentioned, which was awesome, that was uh, early to mid-80s. What 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 years is the Clio? Uh,
1: 2001 0- to 0- 2005. 5. Yes. Yeah. 2001 to 2005. And you yeah. really had, there were two, so there's the phase one and the phase two. The first phase one Clio V6 was built by TWR, which is Walkinshaw Racing. And then they brought it back to Alpine in Dieppe, France, which is not far from where my mother grew up. And I'd been to D up a lot. And uh, my cousin's first cousin's husband actually worked for Alpine. And that's uh, so Alpine, not retail. Alpina. So they yes, make them. Alpine. Yeah. And that was the phase two. Um, and the phase two came in with 255 horsepower V6, zero to 60 and 6.4, which at the time was incredibly fast.
2: Incredible. And you're right.
1: So this is like, they took the R5. To me, the R5 is kind of like, the quintessential it's kind of like a dish a french ds it's that was one of the iconic shapes of cars but you're right the Clio was basically by once again by renault taking the r5 idea of the turbo into the Clio, in the more modern version and it was just every bit as just complete awesomeness nastiness and um I'm going to pull up a picture here of the engine and um, actually just as it was, they, 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 they completely polished the whole idea in the Clio. And there's a picture of the engine. um, And
2: and you know, what's crazy about that photo is it's so weird looking at that motor. And then in the background are the back of the front seat. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You don't expect that.
1: So, what's so cool is you would look through the side window of a Clio, you can see the motor just like a Ferrari. That's oh, wow. so cool. I mean, it's just, I, yeah. So, Renault has really done some cool things the R5 Turbo and the Clio. So, yeah, two amazing hot hatches. And Adam, yeah, that was my number two along with you.
0: That's a okay. great guys. Yeah, the, the Renault 5 Turbo is a blunt instrument. This had yes. some sophistication, the Clio. Yeah, had yes. some sophistication. Yes. Uh, but what a car. Okay. Uh, my, my choice, my my first choice is it's not my number one choice, but the the first one I want to talk about is uh, kind of sophisticated, but it was cool in a way that neither one of those cars, those cars were just nasty. Both
1: <laughs> yes. of them. They're uh, like 19, Dodge. The 19, Dodge.
0: Yeah, nineteen seventy eight Saab ninety nine Turbo, and I love the wheels. Number one.
1: Is that it? Yeah. Yep.
0: And I, I like this more than the 900 because it's got, it's it's smaller and lighter. Uh, everything from basically uh, the A-pillar back is shared with the 900, uh, but the 99 had a shorter front end and uh, was just not as expensive and less sophisticated. But it was their first foray at the turbo, and I just love it. I thought it was nothing but great, so cool, not nearly the performer of either one of the cars you guys mentioned, but um, I
1: love it. I do. I, I have to agree, Steve. I've got a, I love the Sobs. Um, they were so distinct, particular design, the, you know, based off their fighter jets with the windshield and they had their own peculiarities, but I have to agree for a, a hot hatch. This is kind of big for a hot hatch, but um, yeah, the Sob, very great pick.
2: I, I agree, you know, and, and you don't have to look at that car too long to know that it's got some serious aero going on. And you know, as Steph mentioned, you know, the, the, the aeronautic background, you know, those wheels, what, uh, I, I'd almost forgotten those wheels. Will, will those wheels also make uh, Julianne fries
1: out of a potato? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Lots of, is that some sort of art
1: going on? Can you imagine cleaning those wheels? Those listeners, this thing has got more veins on it than, I mean, veins <laughs> like wind veins or like an entire, you know what it really looks, it probably is. These are, looks like, the vanes on the front of a jet turbine engine. That's what they're designed after. No doubt being a sob, It has to it's- be what they're designed after. It looks and like it, you, the front vanes on a turbo engine and an air. General. It
2: really does. It really does, and, it, and it's and it's got a lot of them. They would be difficult yes. to clean. But if you look at the year on that thing in 1978, you know, and Porsche sort of popularized the word turbo in the households in 1976. So Saab was clearly already at work in this. They knew, you know, turbos having come from the aircraft background. I mean, this was a. Sort of a landmark car to make a spin-ish yes. kind of car. I mean, that thing was, and it was fast. You know, it wasn't as fast as maybe what we said, but this car was quicker
1: than everything it competed against. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. All right, Stefan.
1: All right. Well, I've already done two of mine because Adam st- took my second one. So which car is next? I guess Adam's, which is Adams which Do one, a, one yeah, is Adam's, yeah, Adam's your next one. Okay,
2: yeah, well, I'll tell you what, Well, I'll jump in there with a bit more normal of a car if we can call yeah. any of these normal. The oh, yeah. uh Corrado VW Corrado V6. Oh, 6.
1: oh yeah. wow! All right, so let me oh man, let me that's man. cool. I gotta, I it gotta would gotta be in that email, yes. it should
2: say number two, but um, okay, this particular what? car now we mentioned Corrado's before and you know, it was it was a follow up to the Scirocco, which was a you know a commercial success, but it was never a big, big performer. It looked cool. Well, with the Corrado VR6, they kind of changed that and they took this narrow angle. I think it's five or 10, 10 degree, very narrow angle uh, V6. And there you go. And this one was, you know, this is a very used example that was on on a uh, bring a trailer. And I'm glad you're showing that first picture first. Like scroll back up. Look at how that front end has like zero that is so cool. protrusions. It it's is got so a blacked
1: out grill. That is so cool.
2: I like it. I, oh, like I love it. it. I love and, it. And it's got that 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 low frontal frontal area for for, for good um, aero, and it kind of widens out and widens out. And they did this for a rather inexpensive little hot hatch. And there you go. I don't know. I really like that car. It was 190 horse um version of the v6 they sound very good it had a zero to 60 of 6.4 which was healthy at the time 145
1: that's that's very respectable
2: and it got 28 and a half miles a gallon so it's a car you could live with recaro seats and it's very difficult to tell from that picture but they've got this like thin red needle stripe and a thin blue needle stripe in that pattern of the seat which looks straight gray but anyway a fabulous little car
1: Great pick. I've always I've always loved the Sharaco, than the Corrado. They just they were very cool when I was in college. I mean the GTIs were cool, but the Sharaco and the Corrado GTIs were like just they just took it up to a different level. And it was especially the design. Who do you know who designed this car? Is, was, were the Italians invo- involved at all in the design of this? Yeah. Or is this I'm Germany? gonna say Zu I think it was Jujuaro. Yeah, I think Jugiaro did the Chirocco and the the Corrado. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Anyway. Uh, Great. The, the thing I remember about this, and I, I certainly like this car, uh, the interior picture of what you're showing is so 90s. I mean, it's so 90s. Yeah.
1: But it's yeah. perfect. Um, it's a
0: it's perfect interior, though. No, I I agree. Um, but the thing I remember was that the, the, the real hatches, the real hot hatches, you know, uh, from the 80s, you know, the GTI, uh, there was an Escort GT, which counts. Uh, the side, they were all four-cylinder. And I remember like, whoa, a six-cylinder. The, the yeah, Chiracra, right. they were all four-cylinders. This was the first one I'm like, whoa, six-cylinders.
1: Yeah. Yep. It was a narrow-angle VR6, too. Very, what is it, 15-degree angle? I can't remember. That's what, what I, was I was
2: trying was. to remember, Steph. The thing is,
1: 15-degree. Probably degree, right. I think yeah. it's 15-degree V6 on this. Super tight. Yep. Very it's cool. such a Good, Great it's such a narrow angle. You,
0: you wonder why they didn't just make it a straight six, but I'm sure they had a reason. Packaging. Um, yeah, yes. I guess you're right. Yeah. So um, my uh, second pick is the – I was so bummed out when my favorite hot hatch went to Sedan, and that is – favorite for now, you know, that's available now. The 2009 Subaru WRX STI hatchback. And you can't get a hatchback anymore. And it looked great as a hatchback. And all everything you said, Stefan, earlier – the the utility of opening the hatch and putting all your stuff in, you know, people who own these cars are generally young. And, you know, you, you don't have another car. You don't have an SUV in the garage. You just, you and your friends or you and your girlfriend or you and your young wife. Having a hatch is so great. And Subaru had it. And if you show a picture. I'm trying. Um, I'm
1: trying to find it. I'm trying to sorry.
0: find it. But it was so great. And now they, they did away with the hatch. Uh, I don't know. 2011, 12, 13, something like that. There it is, and then that's
2: good looking, man.
0: I know they sh- now it's only a sedan. It bums me out.
2: Yep, yep. And 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 Steve, that's some isn't that some special edition with the gold wheels? And that's like, is that the crazy expensive one, or have I got those confused?
0: No, it's you could you could just get this uh, standard. They did have some special editions that, of course, you know the gold wheels and the the special Subaru blue. Uh, harkens back to Colin McRae and the Rally Days. Uh, the reason they call it WRX was they couldn't call it WRC because uh, that's trademark. It's the World Rally Whatever. Um, so they call it WRX to kind of hint that hey, we're, we race in WRC. Um, I'll, I'll say this: I drove this car. I've driven this car a number of times. It is. It, it, here's what I do. <laughs> here's here's what I said in my latest review of this thing. It it has so much turbo lag. You wait and you wait, and at like 5,000 hour, you're like, holy shit. This thing (laughs) is, It talk about, it is unsophisticated and raw. I said, in a world of Roger Federer's, this is a John McEnroe. And that's what it feels like. It comes in like, hey, you know, all your sophistication, uh, I don't care. I'm loud. I'm nasty. I got turbo lag. It's fun. (laughs) It's a lot of fun.
2: Well we have another dupe here because that was a pick of mine and I don't so obviously I agree with every single thing you're saying. You know the one the one hit on this car which may not make a grain of difference to either you or anybody looking to buy one. They may think it's cool. The exhaust note is just so pitiful. But you know you forgive that when you've got 254 horsepower of very very wonderful and uh, well developed uh, four wheel drive. I mean, Subaru is no stranger to how to make a four wheel drive car work. And you know, it's that's a great car. And did we see the front of that thing? Did we see the crazy hood scoop on the, on that car? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't enclose
0: picture Steve, I didn't that. the, the picture. I didn't enclose
1: the picture. That's okay. Right?
2: It's 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 in mine. You know, and I know the picture is going to get jumbled up. But it. But
1: but. Oh, the, all right, it's the in the yours, hood scoop.
2: It's just, it's just an aggressive looking hood scoop. And it's just, I don't know that that's a great pick. So I had to throw in an alternate stuff and, and it's sitting in your email, but, um, okay. regard. had hey, that. That's okay.
1: Well, here, while we're doing it, let's do i, I th- let's do this, um, while we're doing, well, I got my pictures up here. Let me, oh shit. Let me go back here. Is technological. We, we got to, I saw this picture here with this, who is this stud here in this picture <laughs> in front of a gen one GTI? We need let's talk about this car. Let's so here, talk about listeners. It. Here's a red GTI with this total stud looking somewhere up in New York State. Um, when he gets his car, he's got glasses. Dark. Might that be Steve Schutzen, and some Stan Smith? I don't know. This is uh, 19 uh by 1984,
0: uh Volkswagen GTI red on red. And, uh, this would have been 1986, 87. Uh, it's an apartment in Albany, New York. And, uh, I had two roommates and we'd frequently go to the grocery store together in this car. And all this, all the space behind the seats with the hatch, you could, you put all our groceries there. So, yeah, uh, that's my top pick because it's so much fun. It's the original. And the original original. one was European only. And I think it was 1976. It came out Euro only it was it it sparked the blaze that was a 40 to 50 year uh, i guess a 50 year fire of hot hatches which is now coming to an end but the uh, everything we were talking about earlier and i wanted it and it came out in 80 it was only the gen 1 was only available 83 84 i bought it in 84 uh absolutely loved everything about that car by the way 0 to 60 was i think 9.6 seconds
2: but you know that that that, that was the era that you know I don't know. We were all sort of like getting over the, the the British sports car hangover, where where zero to sixty times were in the ten to twelve second range, and then the the two forty Z showed showed the world what it was about. This car, when it came out, is a little four cylinder. I mean, what did you say? Sub ten seconds? That's that was like moving.
0: Yeah, I just remember it was nothing but fun around corners. Everything Stefan was talking about around corners, stuff like that. It was nimble. It was so much fun.
1: Well, dude, I just, I just got to say that, you know, I did also pick, I also did pick a golf for one of my favorite hot hatches. Mm. And here you can see is the golf that I picked.
0: Oh, I know what the, that is.
1: Yeah. This, so listen, this the listeners, I just posted a picture of a golf, but it really isn't a golf. This wait is the, minute. yeah, that's, wait, I know what that do, is. Do you wait, recognize, wait it? Do you recognize got-
2: it, Adam's? Wait, it's water and it's got a 928S motor <laughs> hammered yes, in it. This other one.
1: This is the German automotive inventor Gunther Arts, who <laughs> he did the coolest cars ever. But this is a Mark I Volkswagen golf built around a Porsche 928 chassis.
2: Oh, you can see the wheels. Yes, Look at the phone dial that. That's unreal. Isn't I have not that, seen. I hadn't seen that car in 15 years.
1: So I remember this because it was Steve, was it car and driver, road and track that first did the article in the US?
0: Road and track.
1: Road and yep. track. I read that. I'm yep. like, oh my God, this is so this guy had a dealership in Hanover and he was constantly dabbling in customizing and modifying cars. But the one he's most famous for is he did the Nordstadt Carrera Beetle, created from a um Volkswagen 1303 body. The chassis of a Porsche nine fourteen six and the two point seven liter engine from a Porsche nine eleven, mm. and um, I'm, I've got a picture of it. I've got a
2: Porsche should have it. hired him. That's just like the, yeah. the, the photo. If you can't see the photo, you can't believe how good a golf yeah. looks widened.
1: Yes, it's and, just um, wonderful. Yep, yeah, so I'm I'm gonna pull it up here. Just give me a minute. I'm doing too much stuff. I got to close this one. That's your. So uh, here it is. So here's a side view. Look at that. It's just perfect. And there's the front view. But here is I've got now. Here's the here's the Nordstat Beetle, his most famous creation. You think about that—a beetle on a nine fourteen with a nine eleven engine. Those look like nine
2: thirty five BBS
1: wheels. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So that's my top pick. For hot hatch, the ultimate, hottest. I know it's not quite. Hatch. It really, it's a one off. I know, but is, but I think this that car was so famous. I had to bring up this podcast because that car cannot go away in history. People have to know about that car. It was so famous first time.
2: Can I can I pick the uh, Steve? You got a you got a third one in there.
1: Nope.
2: You already did it. Okay. Yep. Well, all right. Steve. So, Steph, right. looking look in your emails. I have yep. to pay. I have to pay special respect to a car that we were saying that the GTI uh, Volkswagen was the one that sort of set the tone. yeah Steph, If you'll look in your emails, you'll see one that says my new pick.
1: oh, my new pick. okay, let's see yeah, you've got there, you've got, I've got original hot hats, my pick that one that okay, one. okay, let me open that. okay. Our, okay. Our, our, oh, oh, yes, yes, I'm um, stop share. Let me do screen share. This will be a surprise. Yeah, know, I know. This, this no, this, you're right, dude. This is it. This is this is a great one. What is that? Uh, it,
2: yes, sir. The MGB okay. GT, which yes. I thought was so handsomely done from the convertible. You know, that they 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 made the windscreen higher, the side uh, windows and pillars higher. Uh, they just really made a handsome little MGB slash GT. That's a mouthful. So yeah,
1: so, so, listeners, think about the MGB as a convertible. This is the hardtop version where the hardtop actually goes to the back um, very And close. a
2: real-life hatchback. And I yes. I, had, I had several of these in a row in college. They were my favorite car by far. But this particular one, a guy named Ken Costello uh, in England, decided he would take the 3.5 uh what we know as the Rover V8. But in truth, it was a Buick Oldsmobile Pontiac aluminum V8, three and a half liter, probably a whole 160 horse or something at the time. That Buick Olds Pontiac decided. Oh, we don't want that stupid thing. Nobody cares about aluminum. They licensed it to uh, the UK, and of course, it went in Rovers and and. Uh, uh, oh, I thought this was a.
1: I thought this was always a V six car. I did not know it was an eight cylinder. It's a oh, small V eight. Holy shit! I did not know that with crazy
2: uh, twin Stromberg carburetors sort of slammed down on it, which may have been the worst thing about it. I had a Triumph TR8 in college as well, and it just had a great sound. And to me, that might be the original, original hot hatch, because they did make them. They did not export them to the U.S. And probably between 67 and 72 were the years. And they raced the living heck out of those things, and they were decently competitive. But there you go. That's my pick. And, there, and there's another photo in that email right
1: above it. Yeah, about that one right there. Yep. And those are only got two picks in there.
0: Well, that uh, is a great pick. We are uh, out of time. But no conversation about how Hot Hatches is complete without arguably the greatest of them all. And that is the Peugeot 205 GTI from the yes. 80s. Yes. Um, pick, I didn't pick it because I I figured you'd pick it Stefan because it's French, but
1: Well, look, I already had absolutely. two French car, I had two French cars. I couldn't I I wanted to pick the 205 GTI which is probably you're right, it's the greatest hot hatch.
0: Um, yeah, it is it, attainable
1: agree. that you can still get. It really Yeah, is there wasn't affordable. some crazy one-off thing. But it was not but the the R5 Turbo and the Clio V6 were so outrageous hot hatch I had to pick that and I was I would have gone number 3 with the 205, but I just, I had, you know, I couldn't go three out of three for French. I had to bring in the uh, Golf 928 because it was. Well,
2: I I didn't pick it because I was afraid it would leak oil on my laptop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, uh, I knew that was going to be fun and it was.
1: Oh, it was a blast.
0: So we're out of time. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it, listeners, and Stefan closes out.
1: Hey, so listeners, please uh, like, listen, subscribe. Leave comments, tell your friends, and uh, we want to keep this podcast going, but we can't do so without your support. Uh, Listen to us next week.